Hello, hello. You might notice, if you've been following along with our episode structures in the last couple weeks, that this episode is not part three of our electronics series. And that's because Kristen went on vacation and we decided to put out this fun little pets episode in between. So don't you worry, we will continue our electronics deep dive. But for now, please enjoy this hour-long episode where I mostly just talk about my kittens. Since future Kyla's here anyways, I would like to call attention to the fact that I referred to animals as it a bunch of times, and that's not cool, and I wish I had said they or them instead of casting living creatures as though they were objects. I also talk about owning pets throughout the episode. I do call myself on it in the episode, but I don't think I called myself hard enough. So just going to point out here that I don't love that terminology after all of the reading I've done, and I just needed practice, and I am still practicing. So thank you in advance for your patience. Language matters. Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla Hewson, and I'm here with Kristen Pugh. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, and then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. So this episode is interesting in a couple of ways. The first way is that I did the research for it, and as anyone who's listened to a previous episode that I've done knows, it's... It's not the same, <laughs> so it's a little it's bit of gonna a It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second way that this is different is Kristen and I are recording in the same room for the first time ever. <laughs> so I don't know. We don't know how the dynamic's going to go on that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have a lot more filler that I'm unable to cut because we talk over each other all the time. And when we record in separate rooms, it's actually really easy to edit. But now that we're together... <laughs> Like, you're going to get unfiltered, raw Kristen and Kyla energy. Hell yeah. Also, I'm on vacation, so this is great. (laughs) Welcome to Vancouver. It's the best. Yeah, and you missed it by, you were here like, what, two or three days after the heat wave that broke Canadian records? Like, literally the day afterwards. uh, (laughs) I had been in Alberta, and their heat wave had just started, and so I missed the the upswing of that as well. Oh, man. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, I did not miss it. I was here. It was very hot. Sure. And I'm going to use that to segue into the topic of this episode. I was really stressed out during that heat wave because I just got kittens. Yeah. And They're I was so like, cute. <laughs> I was like really concerned about the heat wave and like I don't have air conditioning because I live in Canada and we're not prepared for this level of heat and humidity all at once. So I like left work early a couple of days and my partner left work left for work like late a couple of days just so that one of us could always be home with the kittens to make sure that they didn't like die of heat exhaustion. <laughs> we were very stressed. We are like helicopter parents to these kittens though. I've been to the vet like so many times <laughs> in the last month. They are three months old. Their names are Princess Bubblegum and Marceline. Uh, and yes, I did name them after characters from Adventure Time. You're welcome for anyone who got that reference. <laughs> And Kristen, do you want to talk about your history with pet ownership before we dive in? Sure. Um, So I've grown up with pets. Uh, We have had, we briefly had mice. I don't know how ethical that was, but I was 10, so not my choice. Uh, We also had some fish. 
Uh, we've also had cats and dogs. The cats have always been nightmare cats. So I was pleasantly surprised that your cats are actually nice cats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've mostly had dogs throughout. And my parents now have a brand new puppy and I've been out visiting them and she is so cute. So I'll probably tell lots of stories about her. Yes. What's her name? Her name is Maisie. I wanted to call her Peaches, but it's not my dog. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm getting over that pain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to dive right in. I did a lot of research on pets, which is what the topic of this episode is. We had like different ideas about what to talk about. So I kind of broke it up into a bunch of smaller segments. Uh, the first segment is just going to be my opening facts just to get us started. Mm. So we have domesticated dogs between 15,000 and 40,000 years ago. Nobody's really sure how long ago dogs were domesticated, but it was a long time ago. Basically, like since humanity was like doing their thing, we have had wolves that followed us around eating our food. And I think it, I read somewhere that it takes like... how we got pugs out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read somewhere that it takes like six generations to like fully domesticate an animal. And then it was mostly the women who were doing it because oh, sure. of, of course. <laughs> uh, I want to read a quote from an article from The Guardian. I'm actually going to quote this article three times and this will be the first one. So... Widespread pet keeping is a relatively recent phenomenon. Until the 19th century, most animals owned by households were working animals that lived alongside humans and were regarded unsentimentally. In 1698, for example, a Dorset farmer recorded in his diary, My old dog, Quan, was killed and baked for his grease, which yielded 11 pounds. However, in the 19th and 20th centuries, animals began to feature less in our increasingly urban environments, and as disposable income grew, pets became more desirable. Even as people began to dote on their pets, though, animal life was not attributed any intrinsic value. In Run Spot Run, Pierce reports that in 1877, the city of New York rounded up 762 stray dogs and drowned them in the East River, shoving them into iron crates and lifting the crates by crane into the water. Kyla, did we introduce that we're talking about pet, pet ethics today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if I should like start with that, um, but I decided to do it because it's so horrific and it just feels like it's in line with our show. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, and just to finish out the quote here. Sorry. No, not at all. <laughs> Please interrupt. It's like way more fun when you're here. <laughs> Uh, veterinarian turned philosopher Bernard Rowland recalls pet owners in the 1960s putting their dogs to sleep before going on holiday, reasoning that it was cheaper to get a new dog when they returned than to board the one they had. Oh. Yeah. So that was like, what, 70 years ago? 40, 50, 60 years ago. Math is hard. Uh, but it's like really recent that people started viewing animals as having like intrinsic value and life like value, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought that was a really interesting thing to kind of start out with. Um, I was like, oh, I'll do a whole history of pets, but that was really the most interesting thing I found. There are 900 million dogs in the world. There are 6 million dogs in Canada and 600 million cats worldwide. There are so many fewer dogs and cats than there are cows. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember off the top of your head how many cows there are? I forget. I think 64 billion, somewhere <gasps> in that range. Yeah. There's a lot. 
That might be totally wrong. Though. I'll look it up later. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, don't trust anything you hear on this podcast. Oh, Snow, never mind. That was the stat of how many animals we kill that live on land every year. So there's probably fewer cows because they're only some of the animals we kill. Oh, I mean, either way, there's a lot fewer pets than there are feedstock animals. <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk about that a little bit later as well. Uh, globally, there are 57% of households will own a pet. Really? Yeah, it's it, a, it's a lot, like just like on a global scale. Way more than I would have thought. Yeah, sixty eight percent of Americans own at least one pet. Uh, this doesn't really relate to anything, but I thought it was a fun fact. Globally, Norwegian pet owners spend the most money on feeding their dogs. Well, sure, but food's also expensive in Norway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's for- and forget about it if you're trying to give a dog a beer, because. <laughs> Our European listeners will laugh at that. (laughs) Uh, In in the United States, 6.5 million animals enter animal shelters yearly. There are currently 70 million strays in the USA, and 1.5 million shelter animals are euthanized yearly. And that was in the United States. So I was kind of curious as to what the stats were for Canada, because those numbers were really upsetting for me. So in Canada, a fraction of both dogs and cats are euthanized who were deemed healthy, treatable, or adoptable, and that fraction was 2%. So in, I forget what year it was, um, but in a really recent year, there were 78,000 cats and 28,000 dogs that entered shelters. So at a 2% rate, that means that 2,000 animals were euthanized in Canada that could have been adopted that were healthy. Uh, Many, so I'm just going to quote from the Humane Canada website here. Many shelters are adopting the practice of allowing healthy, unidentified outdoor cats to be returned to their home location if they are thriving, rather than admitting them to a shelter that risks becoming overcrowded. So they sterilize, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So they sterilize them as part of this program. They vaccinate, provide required medical treatments, and then they just release them back to where they were found. In 2019, 3% of felines taken into the shelter were returned to the field. So it's like not a lot, but it's a cool program. So I thought that I would start out after our fun little facts there, just to set the tone, um, with some of the benefits of owning pets and why people choose to do it in the first place. And the number one reason for me, anyways, was mental health, exercise, and the release of oxytocin, which which reduces stress and anxiety. Pets, like, they can prevent loneliness, they offer a sense of well-being, it encourages folks to develop a stronger sense of empathy, it increases social interactions between other pet owners, dogs release loads of oxytocin when they see their humans. Cats also produce some, but it's a lot less. (laughs) Well, didn't, uh, sorry, I should have said this earlier when you were talking about domesticating dogs, but cats basically domesticated themselves. Yeah. Yeah, cats only meow because that's like what they think people sound like, and it's them trying to speak to you. Cats don't meow to other cats. No way, really. Yeah, they that's don't. Hilarious. They don't meow at each other like very much at all. I've don't even like if you think about it. You're like think about all the times you've seen a cat meowing. Usually, they're looking up at you. So that's they're doing like an impression of us. Then they're doing an impression of like I read somewhere that they're doing an impression of a baby specifically because we're like programmed to, to take care of babies i don't know how true that is i didn't include That's it so in my notes i know <laughs> um but yeah gazing at your dog can lead to a 300 percent increase in oxytocin like for yourself holy shit <laughs> so oxytocin is like the cuddle hormone it makes you feel love when you share like ex- ex- like extended periods of eye contact with people it uh, it reduces stress and social anxiety. Mm. It's like the number one hormone that mothers and babies have for each other. 
So it's kind of like really good for you to have a pet for your mental health, for your physical health. And I think probably because we've been owning pets more in the last hundred years, that's what's really brought about like the animal welfare movement. Yeah, for and sure. And sure, it was different in the 60s, maybe when people were putting down their dogs when they went on vacation, but that's only developed over time to now where even looking at like how my childhood was with pets versus how I am with my cats now. I've been doing so much research about them. And every time I learn something new, I'm like, holy shit, we were not taking very good care of our pets when I (laughs) was growing up in the 90s. (laughs) Like, you're supposed to clean your litter box like every day. And I know lots of people who definitely don't do that. I'm pretty good. I clean it well, you're also you're also supposed to have one more litter box than you have cats. So I have two cats, which means it's a lot for this apartment. I know I have <laughs> a tiny little closet, but I did it anyways, and it has improved my cat's behavior. So, but it's stuff like that where you wouldn't have thought about it in the '90s, and now I'm like, oh, no wonder our cats were like stressed out. They were they were sharing the same dirty toilet every day. Oh man, yeah. That's uh, fair. I also think Jethro, our first cat, was just a dick. But, you know. <laughs> I, sometimes that happens. I did find a study that uh, found cats actually, when offered food or interacting with people, they would choose interacting with people more often than they would choose food. So they, if you're wondering, like, do cats love you? Yeah, they just show it in a different way than jumping up on you and licking your face because they're really, like, solitary creatures who are pretty territorial. But if they're sleeping next to you, then that's a sign that they trust you. Maybe they don't love you as much as your dog. This, there's not a lot of studies on that. <laughs> uh, but they definitely really like human contact. So I feel pretty good about that. So those are the benefits. We're going to spend the next, I don't know, hour talking about all <laughs> the downsides. Great. <laughs> so I'm going to start by talking about just the general downsides, which is, of course, owning animals goes against their nature And results in a lot of, like, unequal power dynamics because, well, I decide when they eat and whether they get treatment for their illnesses and whether they can go outside or play with a friend, right? I'm going to quote from an article from The Conversation uh, that says, Particular breeds are highly susceptible to painful and frequently fatal genetic defects. Highly prized physical features, such as small and large stature or pushed-in noses, can cause discomfort and difficulty in breathing, birthing, and other normal functions. Yeah, pugs can't breathe. No, and like neither (laughs) can those cats from like the toilet paper commercials. Mm, Yeah. Even those animals who are not purpose-bred often face bodily manipulations which impede their comfort and safety. This can include confining clothing, painful leashes that pull at the throat, docked tails and ears, declawing, which involves the severing of the first digit of each toe in cats. Pets are also often constrained in their daily movements, sometimes crated or caged, and regularly kept indoors, always at the whim of their human owners. Through this forced dependency and domestication, the lives of companion animals are almost completely controlled by humans. They can be terminated at any time for the most trivial of reasons, including behavioral problems for belonging to a stereotyped breed, or the owner's inability or unwillingness to pay for veterinary treatment. So there's not a lot of, like, autonomy that pets have with us. Yeah, although, I don't know, I think the dogs that I've had growing up, um, they decided to go inside and outside mostly based on their whims, not ours. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's been amazing how um, how different the norms are. I don't know if it's the same for cats, but with dogs, like... 
We, for our first dog, we had like a choker collar uh, on her to stop her from pulling. And by the time we'd gotten our second dog, second and third dogs, they were um, brothers. We'd rescued them both at the same time. Um, that was already um, something that was seen as cruel. And so, um, you know, we switched to just regular collars. And now with the new puppy that um, my parents have gotten, um, that's not considered something that's good for them, which actually makes a lot of sense. Like you wouldn't want something around your neck. Um, and so like the new thing is you put like a harness on them around their shoulders um, or like um, there's another one that goes around their face that it's sort of like just when they want to turn to one side. So instead of pulling, but it's interesting how that kind of stuff has changed because I think people do inherently recognize that like there is some kind of weird dynamic going on and like pets are family members, but they're also not in certain ways. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like the ethics of pet ownership was a rabbit hole I went down deeply. (laughs) I'm going to quote one more time from that Guardian article. And I say one more time, but it's actually going to be a couple more times. Uh, But from the animals that become dog and cat food and the puppy farms churning out increasingly unhealthy purebred canines to the goldfish sold by the bag and the crickets by the box, pet ownership is problematic because it denies animals the right of self-determination. Ultimately, we bring them into our lives because we want them. Then we dictate what they eat, where they live, how they behave, how they look, even whether to keep, they keep their sex organs. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought that was a really like nice way to sum it up. And then my last uh, point in the general drawbacks is uh, veterinarians continue to experience extensive stress as they experience two opposite but equally trying dilemmas, ending an animal's life too soon or waiting too long. So this is a quote from the conversation again, probably the same one from before, but all of the notes are on the website and you guys (laughs) can go there if you want to fact check me. In a paper that I published entitled Euthanasia and Moral Stress, I described the significant stress experienced by veterinarians, veterinary technicians, and humane society workers. Many choose their professions out of a desire to improve the lot of animals. Instead, they invariably ended up euthanizing large numbers of them, often for unethical reasons. These ranged from, I got the dog to jog with me and now it's too old to run, to, if I die, I want you to euthanize the animal because I know it can't bear to live without me. Wow. <laughs> I know, it's some like some narcissistic shit. <laughs> like, like, some, <laughs> some pharaoh level bullshit. <laughs> In other cases, the animal is experiencing considerable suffering, but the owner is unwilling to let the animal go. Mm. With owners increasingly viewing pets as family members, this has become increasingly common, and many owners fear the guilt associated with killing an animal too soon. Have you ever had to, like, choose when to euthanize a pet? I have not. I have not. But my grandma has a really old dog right now, and I can kind of, like, see her struggling with that decision. It doesn't help that the dog is so old that she was alive when my grandpa was still alive. So it's, like, my grandma's last attachment to the time when my grandpa was around. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, especially difficult. So I understand why people would struggle with that. No, I was just – because our our dog's – they were put down at slightly different times, but it was both of them were like within the last like five years. And it's a really tough decision to try to make because um, animals don't have the benefit of words. So they can't like establish expectations. They can't tell you if you're in pain. So there are like some guides out there for people if like if you've got a pet and you're not sure how much pain they're in and they're old, like you can find those um, that like will give you a good sense of what the physical signs are. But it's really hard because you have that dilemma, right? Like a pet owner that really cares doesn't want to put down their animal too early, but also like 
putting them down too late can be a really big problem too. Our first dog had like a really aggressive form of cancer and we put her down probably too late because um, we thought maybe she'd recover. She wasn't super old. And so like, I think people go in with the best of intentions, you know, it's, it's very, really hard, but sometimes people don't go in with the best of intentions too. <laughs> I don't know. I think everybody has the best of intentions. It's just like, it comes down to like your own life experience and what your knowledge is and who your vet is. Not all that different though, from like, um, places where euthanasia is legal and doing it with humans. As no, well, exactly. And I mean, that's such a, con like a controversial topic that I'm sure we'll eventually do an episode on it too, you know? <laughs> Uh, but just to finish this uh, this quote Sorry. out, no, no, it, it ties in perfectly. Uh, ironically, this too can cause veterinarians undue trauma. They know the animal is suffering, but there's nothing they can do about it unless the owner gives them permission. The consequences are manifest. One recent study showed that one in six veterinarians has considered suicide. Another found an elevated risk of suicide in the field of veterinary medicine. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. At least with our vet, um, before... Before you get your, your dog euthanized, you have to go through like an assessment with, because they like don't directly euthanize. There's another dog hospital that specializes in it. And like to at least stop the people that are like, oh, my dog won't go for runs with me. And therefore, although I don't know what you do with that afterwards, because they can probably just go to an unethical euthanizer and do that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many people have been running with their dogs for years and then decide to put them down. I don't know if that's a very common issue. I would hope not. Yeah, but I do imagine, like, um, at least uh, with our dogs, like, my parents probably would have spent whatever they could on them, and there wasn't really anything they could do. But, like, you can easily imagine, like, some of these surgeries are really expensive, and it might be, like, prohibitive to do it. Just visiting the vet is expensive, as I have learned uh -huh. <laughs> this month. <laughs> <laughs> Bubblegum sneezed blood like in the first week that I owned her. Or oh see, that's another problem. I habit, you shouldn't say like you own your pets because yeah. it implies that they're property. I didn't even write the stuff down. This is just stuff that I read. But they're like they're part of your family and talking about owning them creates this this mental I don't know, like leap where they're property and so therefore they're not feeling beings. So there you go. I just made that slip up because I'm a product of the 90s. Uh, okay. So after I adopted Bubblegum, <laughs> we had to take her to the vet because she sneezed blood. It took us like eight hours because we were going to emergency because it was like a weekend in the night. So uh, like no vets were open. And like $250 later, it was like, oh yeah, kittens get nosebleeds sometimes just like everyone else. And I'm like, cool, cool story. I'm glad that my kitten's okay, but also like... <laughs> yeah. Do you have pet insurance? Are we going to talk about that later? Oh, I didn't. I actually probably should have like talked about... I have so much here that <laughs> um, I did look into getting pet insurance for my cats, but I don't know. It's... I looked up what the cost of care is usually and they're young so our most expensive time is going to be right now and then after that it won't be unless they eat a sock or something well and then until they're old but yeah exactly so when they're old maybe but what what we've decided to do is the amount of money that we were going to put into pet insurance every month we're just putting into a savings account for the cats yeah so at the end of a year we'll have like i don't know two grand or something like that we're putting a little extra and then pet insurance would cost so we're each putting in like $50 a month. So we'll have like $1,200. Maybe we're putting a little more. Yeah, that's what I've heard um, from other people that I know who have researched it. That's what they ended up doing too, because like they find with the pet insurance, often they'll find ways to um, make the animal ineligible for it. Or yeah. like 
the co-pays are too high. It's just not worth it. Yeah, it's like, or even the deductibles are huge. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm, that covers like everything that I that, that's like a whole years of a uh, whole years worth of care. So it's really only for emergencies. And if I'm gonna just use it for emergencies, I'd rather just keep the money. You know what I mean? It's different for everybody. I know that veterinarians and uh, like the SPCA and everybody would recommend insurance. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Mm, I'm too good for insurance. But you have to do your own research on that, I think, ultimately. Uh, We decided this was best for us. Maybe we'll regret it if our cats get really sick in the next year or two. But it's not like we can't afford to pay for their medicine or treatment if something happens Mm -hmm. and we are creating like a savings account for them so uh, i don't know that's a tough one i didn't really go into that too much because i couldn't really find a good answer for myself (laughs) uh but the next thing that i did want to talk about uh was the labor uh that goes into making food and toys Mm. uh this will be the shortest part uh, like the shortest segment that I talk about, mostly because we've covered labor a lot in previous episodes. We actually did a whole episode on forced labor that covers a lot of what I'm going to just, well, I'm, I have like two sentences here. So if you guys want to know more about forced labor, please do listen to our episode on that or almost any other episode that we've done so far. <laughs> yeah, a lot of our recent ones have a big focus on labor. It's a problem. If you don't know exactly where your stuff's coming from, there's a good chance that there's forced labor in the chain. Thank you, globalism. But the one thing I really wanted to talk about here was that harvesting seafood for pets involves all of the issues that go with seafood harvesting, including forced labor, human trafficking, and environmental destruction. We do, what, a three-parter, a two-parter on the fishing industry previous to this? Well, we did the two-parter, and then we also had that React video. Um, oh, yeah, episode. to Seaspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you can go back in our catalog and check out our our seafood episodes that really covers this in a great deal of um, detail. Mm-hmm. But it's a problem in the pet food industry just as much as it is in the human food industry. There was actually a big upset in 2015 when Nestle was linked to forced labor and humans, human rights abuses in the supply chain of Fancy Feast. A class action lawsuit and the promise to report on change is what like came through on that stuff. Like even Nestle was like, okay, yeah, whoops, we did, we did wrong. So like you can tell it was really bad if Nestle was like, yeah, we promise we'll change. But like I looked into it a little bit to see if anything had happened since then and I couldn't find very much, which wasn't terribly surprising. If anyone knows that they've gone like huge strides in this, then please let us know. But based on everything we've talked about with the fishing industry in the last year, I hesitate to say that they have gotten forced labor out of that supply chain. Well, and also just quick reminder that if you're feeding your animals chicken or beef, it's not like a lot better. It's, no, you know, yeah. I, the, just the, different problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing I could really find recently was that Nestle was hit with another class action lawsuit by folks who say they were used as child slaves in the Ivory Coast on cocoa farms, and that was this year. So <laughs> not really to do with pet food, but when I liked looked up Nestle forced labor, that's what came up. Yeah, so. for sure, yeah. And that's it. That's all I have on forced labor. We have lots and lots of information on that, so because I couldn't find anything that really, like was different in the pet industry. I didn't come up with a whole lot to talk about on that. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say is there's been a movement recently for, at least for dog owners, I don't know about cats as much, um, for people to make their own food for their pets. Um, If that's something you have like the time and energy to do, it can be a good solution because that allows you to have a little bit more control of like 
Well, first of all, from like a health perspective, what's in the food, but also like um, it's a little easier for you to source independent ingredients than to like um, purchase from these big sort of opaque pet companies. And also that the more you have sort of like conscious pet ownership, which as you were talking about before, like the norms are changing. And so I think there's going to be more consumer pressure on pet food companies. You can always exercise your voice if you don't know where the food is coming from and what the conditions are. You can always ask the company. And if they don't give you a satisfying answer, you can switch. Yes. Those are all amazing points, uh, which means that when I talk about pet food later in the episode, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I won't have to <laughs> go into it as much. No, no, no. That's all. It does. Here are the general principles that always apply in these episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, and I mean, that does apply to labor. It also applies to the environment. It, impl- it applies. Yeah, it's just like... Watch what you're feeding them, but we'll talk about that in a bit. What I want to talk about next is disposing of waste, which is by far mm. the biggest section in this whole episode. Oops. And the thing, yeah, <laughs> poops, the thing I spent the most time on, which is not what I expected. <laughs> I went down quite a rabbit hole. Uh, and that's because it, well, and you'll see why at the end, actually. So okay. I'm just going to go through my notes here. Sure. So I want to talk about kitty litter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, The history of kitty litter is actually a little bit interesting. Before the mid-1940s, indoor cat boxes were filled with dirt, sand, sawdust, paper, and ashes and cinders. That seems reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who invented clay kitty litter, as we recognize it today, was called Edward Lowe. His neighbor, Kay Draper, was tired of her cat tracking ashes all through their house, so she asked Ed for some sand. It was winter, his sand was frozen, so he gave her a bag of granulated clay to try instead, something that he used for taking care of oil spills in auto shops. She came back a couple of weeks later for more, and her friends started asking for it too. It really took off when he started marketing it for its deodorizing capabilities, Mm. and he would provide it for free to cat shows, which is like the best way to advertise because it was like a hundred cats all in one place and nobody could smell their shit and it was like <laughs> this stuff's incredible <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to share that because i thought that was pretty cool but uh apart from the interesting history clay litter is really man for the environment so oh no. yeah so i'm gonna uh just read a quote from tofu kitty club which They're a little bit biased. They talk about a specific type of kitty litter, which is tofu kitty litter, which is what I use. And I'll talk about that at the end. But their quote covers a lot of the problems that we're going to get into as well. How is the solution to everything tofu? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that we'll have to do an episode on tofu at some point. Legit, like I bought a face mask from Lush recently that had tofu in it. I was like, is tofu in everything? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tofu rocks. Uh, Okay, so here we go. The process of making clay litter is environmentally destructive. Raw bentonite clay is pulled from earth one truckload at a time in a process called strip mining, which we talked about a little bit in our electronics (laughs) episode. So if you guys want to know more about strip mining, head over to electronics episode two. Yeah, the environment one, one, I think. Yeah. Uh, So... To get to this clay, companies must remove all the existing topsoil and vegetation. This leads to deforestation, loss of wildlife habitat, erosion, and depletion of natural minerals. It also leads to sediments getting washed into streams and rivers, which pollutes waters and harmful fish and aquatic vegetation. It can also destroy watersheds and increase flooding. Plus, it's super noisy to be doing uh, strip mining, so anyone living nearby has to deal with the sound, and it's dusty. Anyone who's never had a cat... Uh, is dusty. Clay is dusty. 
The clay is hauled to a processing plant, which requires a lot of fuel. It's then baked at high temperatures, over 1,000 degrees Celsius, to remove any moisture. This is what gives it its absorbing properties. Mm. From there, it's cooled and crushed into finer granules before being packaged and shipped out to stores. Uh, there's also the problem of where used cat litter ends up. The landfill. Clay cat litter is not biodegradable. If you're like the typical kitty parent, you scoop your cat's litter clumps into a plastic bag, tie it tight, then haul it to the trash where it is picked up and then dumped at a landfill. There they will stay, trapped in plastic until the end of time. <laughs> That's, this is a quote from the article. And the article goes on to say, yes, I know that sounds dramatic, but it's true, which is what made me really like this article. <laughs> What if it was not tied up in a bag? Would it biodegrade eventually? The simple answer is no. Do you know why clay pots are often found in thousand-year-old archaeological sites? Clay does not naturally decompose like other organic materials. Clay litter also isn't compostable or biodegradable. Crystal cat litters are sourced the same way as clay litters, strip mining, then refining the material. What is crystal uh, made out of? Like the... I'll tell you right now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. Instead of using primarily bentonite clay, crystal litter is made from sodium silicate sand, the same product used to absorb moisture in the packaging of new products. You've probably seen those small packets in your box of shoes that says, do not eat. It's mm. the same as that. So sodium silicate. Mm -hmm. So like salt plus the stuff that microchips are made out of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we learned that recently. <laughs> We're in the middle of an electronics series. I've got to get the plugs in. <laughs> it's a great series. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, plug it all you want. So yeah, that is a little bit on um, kitty litter. The Environmental Working Group recommends greener plant-based cat litter products made from wheat, corn, ground-up corn cobs, alfalfa pellets, and recycled newspaper pellets but if you if you get a biodegradable litter can you flush it what if the packaging says you can no you can't i'll go into that in a second but the other thing about biodegradable litter is like like it'll often advertise as being like flushable but it'll also be like biodegradable put it in your compost and that works if you're just putting the clean litter in your compost for some reason mm. like maybe you're cleaning out your litter box but you can't put cat feces into compost for a load of reasons that I will get into. So uh, can you flush biodegradable litter? Because there's a lot of litters coming out now that say, oh, flushable, flushable. And the answer is no, that's false advertising. Don't do it. Please don't do that. And there's two reasons, two, no, two very big reasons. Um, the first is if you're flushing cat poop, it's actually the only poop you can't flush. Mm. You can flush dog poop. You can flush rabbit poop. You can flush human poop, obviously, uh, but you cannot flush feline poop. And it's because feline poop gets harder than other poops and it turns into like a cement, basically, that blocks up drains. Uh. And also, cats are one of the only animal or, or the only animal that carries a parasite in their system called toxoplasma. It's harmful to water life and to people who are pregnant or immunocompromised. Mm. Oh, that's why, um, like, Pregnant people often won't be the people cleaning litter boxes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because toxoplasma is like super dangerous for them. So I'm going to read a little bit about what toxoplasma is. Toxoplasma is a single-celled parasite that can live in almost every animal, including humans, but strangely can only sexually reproduce within cats. 
For one to two weeks after the initial infection, a cat will release these parasites in its feces, and these have the potential to infect other animals. If my cats were infected and some other animal consumed intentionally or unintentionally the feces during its two-week contamination period, it could infect many other animals, uh, continuing the parasite's life. These tough little things are not killed by our traditional sewage treatment process, so it will flow out into our open waters and contaminate sea life. Mm. So they found it, like, poisoning sea lions and stuff. Oh. Yeah, it's a bummer. So that's the (laughs) first... (laughs) (laughs) So that's the first reason why you can't flush cat litter. I mean, if you're not flushing the shit, then I think it's probably fine. But the second reason that you can't flush litter is flushing litter can ruin pipes. Especially the clay kind. Definitely don't flush that. Um, but even if you're flushing the the stuff that's biodegradable, it often clogs up sewer systems and just creates a lot of problems for city sewage. Um, for the treatment plants, for the, for the pipes running out of the city, it's just like clogs everything up. And it can't be composted for the same reason that you can't flush it because the toxoplasma could poison mm. people. So you could compost dog poop then? I mean, I think you could really compost cat poop too. I wouldn't compost any feces and then put it on plants that you're going to eat. Sure. But if you're putting in like your municipal collection, that yeah. would be fine? Um, I think it depends on what the city bylaws are. Oh, Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check that one out because <laughs> I definitely looked up Vancouver's like bylaws on flushing and the answer is like, please don't do it. Uh, but when it comes to compost, it depends on like whether or not they're using that compost to put it on like food stock or whether they're using it to just like, I don't know, make the grass greener. You know what I mean? Because if if you're doing it to make flowers grow bigger, then sure. I don't see why not. But if you're doing it for carrots, ugh, I don't think so. Yes. So you are allowed to compost um, dog waste. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Just anywhere? The Ottawa one says pet waste is accepted. Does um, it say about cats? Yeah. It says it includes kitty litter. Okay, so cool. I don't know. Presumably with the if you're using non-compostable materials for it, it just, they'll end up rejecting it later. I don't know, but. Okay, cool. So yeah, check your local bylaws then. I didn't look into it too much because I was too busy looking at whether or not you could flush it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, okay, great. That's a cool solution. Biodegradable and compostable if your city allows for it. Yeah, quick note though, that biodegradable and compostable aren't the same thing. So make sure that it's compostable if you're composting it. Yes, yes, please do. Otherwise, the only other solution is landfill. Ideally, get a smell-proof cat litter pail so you don't have to change the bag every day. Kristen can see mine in the corner. I just bought it yesterday. Um, It does use a plastic bag, but it uses one plastic bag that will let it fill for like a couple of months, and then I'll take it out. Mm -hmm. As opposed to when I was scooping our litter into just our regular garbage, I had to change it like every day because cat shit be stinky. (laughs) It was nasty. Like... It, and I was like, this isn't sustainable. So I was like, oh, maybe I can flush it. But then the answer was like, only if you want to poison people who are immunocompromised. And I was like, cool story. <laughs> yeah, so you might be able to now just compost it. Yeah, I'll check that out, actually. I'll look it up for Vancouver. Editing Kyla here. I did look it up, and you cannot compost your cat's poop in Vancouver. But you can flush dog poop. So You can, yeah. I, I think the simplest solution for dogs is just uh, green bin it, though, if you can. Um, the one note with that, though, I don't know if you're going to talk about poop bags. I wasn't. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, so with poop bags, um, A, if it's just regular plastic, um, 
check your municipal rules. Sometimes um, you'll be able to compost it and people will just cut the bags open and remove it later. Although that sounds like an awful job. I was just going to say, I'm <laughs> like, I do not sign me up for that work. Yeah, but if bags aren't allowed, um, sometimes compostable bags will be allowed, but you need to check, you need to need to need to check that your your municipality actually composts compostable plastic because they don't always, as we found out in our plastics, bioplastics episode. So Yeah, yeah. Like, that's part of why I didn't really write a whole thing on that because I was like, ah, oh, we've talked about this. But yes, great plug for our plastics episode where yeah. we do talk about like, oh, is biodegradable plastic an option? And our, our answer was, spoiler alert, no. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I know some people are trying to like deal with the because like if you're taking dogs on a walk, like you have to do something to pick up their poo. I didn't research for this episode, so I don't have a good solution for people. Um, but if you are in a municipality where they do like actually they can compost compostable plastic, um, like I think Edmonton is one of them. Yeah, but Vancouver was not. <laughs> Vancouver was not. Ottawa was not. Um, so that can be a solution, but only in specific places. If your municipality doesn't compost compostable plastic, yell, yell at your local politician. Yeah, yeah, local politician. Yeah. Great. Yeah, excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay. Just here for the dog perspective. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I obviously was like pretty cat focused because first of all, the solution for dog poop was really easy. It can be composted and it can be flushed. But then cats, it was like a whole thing because litter, like what do you do with litter, especially since everybody still uses the clay litter and the only solution for clay litter because it can't be put in the compost is to put it in the landfill. So yeah, I'm just going to Google because I know they're like, if somebody has like mice or hamsters or whatever, can you compost the shavings? Ah, mm. I would think yes, because what I found for, like, I would think that dogs would be the same for most other animals because cats was like the standout. But yes, please double check me on that. Yes. And so in that case, put them in a paper bag. Actually, that might be a good solution. It might be tricky for dog poo, but if you've got a paper bag system that works, maybe mm -hmm. that's one way to do it. All right. So I'm moving on to the next topic after waste, uh, which is if you're a vegan, how do you feed your pets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so dogs can dogs are omnivores dogs can survive on a vegan diet but you have to be really careful that they're getting the right nutrients and if you are going to do that you would have to go hand in hand with your veterinarian yeah um i will not like on this episode advocate for people just starting to feed their dog a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet without talking to a professional please 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 i do not want that lawsuit yeah <laughs> is it possible yes am i going to tell you how no <laughs> talk to your vet find a progressive vet that cares yeah exactly cats are carnivores cats cannot be fed a vegan diet uh if they can the science isn't there yet and i would not encourage anyone to do that so then the question is, is it ethical to keep a pet that needs to eat meat? Oh, before we get into that, sorry. Yeah. Uh, what about eating insects? Is that a thing a cat could do? Yeah, that's at the bottom. God damn it. <laughs> All right, then never mind. We'll skip forward. No, I love this. This is perfect. It's making me feel like uh, my research was really thorough. <laughs> nice. Phew, I am passing these pop quizzes. There's only been like a couple where you're, you've had to Google. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Is it ethical to keep a pet that needs to eat meat? We're keeping one animal alive while many suffer in industrial farms. Mm -hmm. Some folks would argue that it is better to euthanize cats. One animal versus the many it would eat in its lifetime. 
bit of a trolley problem there. Yeah, it's a bit fucked up. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I land on that one. <laughs> I think there's, there's better solutions. We didn't really cover it in our lab-grown meat episode, but this is where I think that the industry has the most potential for lab-grown meat and for eating insects. So I think for, for both of those industries, we kind of landed on, eh, is it right for people? Maybe in some circumstances, is it a, a long-term solution? Ultimately, no. Is it the most ethical solution? No, just go vegan. But for pets especially, yes, I think that it is the most promising Industries like coming up for that. Yeah, although I think with a dog, like they're omnivores, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Christian's solution is to just own dogs. It's a good thing we're both here. We're getting both perspectives. <laughs> Kyla's here to rep the cats. <laughs> well, also, like, I mean, I we talked about this in the insect episode, and um I feel I feel like it's not as good as just a plant-based diet, but like yeah, the ethical issues are probably less. They're living more of their buggy life, you know. Um, the environmental issues are definitely less. We talked about that for a long time, so <laughs> replicate it. But, like, yeah, do you really need to find ethical meat for a dog? Not really, no. Dogs can just be vegan if you do it properly. Yeah. Uh, cats, though, would need meat. Cats need meat, unless unless science progresses in such a way that we can find a way for them to get their nutrients. Because, like, a lot of their nutrients literally come from bone marrow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's complicated and I didn't want to get into the science too much, but I did want to talk about uh, the current state of things, which is that 49 million hectares of agricultural land, an area that is double the size of the United Kingdom, is used to make dry pet food for cats and dogs each year. The pet food industry also creates an annual greenhouse gas emission of 106 million tons of carbon dioxide. A country producing the same levels would be the world's 60th highest emitter. Mm. The industry creates more greenhouse gases each year than countries like Mozambique and the Philippines. And the full environmental impact of the industry is actually much higher because this study only looked at dry pet food production. So. In the U.S., the 70 million dogs that are kept as companions largely eat meat-based diets. If you put all of the American dogs, cats, and other pets on their own island, they would rank fifth in the global meat consumption. So so basically, the um, only countries that eat more meat than all of the American pets combined are Russia, Brazil, the U.S., and China. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so... Our pets are eating a lot of meat, and that's just the American pet industry. That doesn't take into account all of the other pets that people have worldwide. And keep in mind, more than half of the people in the pl- on the planet have pets. The uh, This has started worrying environmentalists, with global meat and dairy production representing 14.5% of all man-made gra- uh, greenhouse gas emissions, slightly more than the emissions produced by every car, train, aircraft, and ship on the planet. Pet dogs and cats are responsible for up to 30% of the environmental impact of animal agricultural uh, agriculture in the U.S. Can I ask another question? Yes, please. Um, so I always had kind of imagined that like bargain basement dog and cat kibble um, was like made from byproducts of like animals that were already killed that we would be eating, but like the less desirable cuts. Is that true or did I just make that up in my head? No, that's still true. Okay. And... Is that not more sustainable, though? I can't remember if I actually have it written down here, but I do remember reading about that, and I probably do have it here. I'm going to finish my... Yeah, uh, sorry. No, 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 because that is a really... Here we go. Yeah, I do have it coming up. So it's been reported that over half of the U.S. dogs uh, are obese, so Hmm. cutting down on the treats and not overfeeding uh, is a really good way to 
sort of like in your own tiny little bubble of your life to help the environment. It's it's also like way better for your pet to not be like overweight. You can opt for a bag of chicken or fish dried food instead of beef, although our seafood episodes have like gone over why the seafood industry isn't great. Yeah. And chicken has its own problems. Yeah. But if you're going to, if it's, if it's seafood or chicken versus beef, I think I would still land on the side of seafood or chicken. Mm, I think I might go chicken. Seafood, like, we are running out of fish in yeah, the ocean. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. So anyone who's, like, titillated by that tease, please listen to our seafood episode. <laughs> uh, you can bulk buy to cut down on packaging. So just get, like, you know, your your pet food in, mm-hmm. like, huge bags. Buying locally made food is more sustainable than the imported varieties, uh, which, of course, produces more emissions through transport. And then you can avoid posh, human-grade pet food. That's food made up from full chicken and stuff like that. Food that's made from byproducts, like Kristen was talking about, is fine. Let them eat what we don't want rather than creating more emissions through farming more animals for posh dog food. So they're perfectly healthy eating um, animal byproducts. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, like, I mean, that goes kind of against the principles that you're talking about at the beginning of the episode, right? Where if we're, like, thinking about animals as, like, being these autonomous creatures that are members of our family, like, the idea of shunting them the scraps kind of. I suppose. But if the if the formula is created in such a way that it tastes delicious, then they're not going to know any better. That's true. That's true. As long as they're getting all of their nutrients, they're having around like a like a well-balanced diet and it tastes good. Mm-hmm. I don't think like they're not going to know. I don't know. I guess I don't know. make I your own choice on that. <laughs> I think make dogs vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work, I think, from what I could tell. I'm sure, yeah. But uh insect-based food uh for cats and dogs is a nutritious and healthy alternative with 96% fewer emissions than beef. Although I feel like comparing insects to beef is unfair. <laughs> Well, I don't know if we're feeding them mealworms, no matter how many thousands of mealworms you need to use. That's true. Uh, well, and like you were talking about at the beginning of the episode, do-it-yourself recipes are all the rage right now. Mm-hmm. So you can like chat to your vet beforehand and then just start sourcing your own ingredients and nutrients. Yeah. So that's probably the best solution. Am I going to do it? I don't know. I'm pretty lazy. <laughs> I should. But my cats are kittens. Like they're three months old. So... I want to be really careful about what I'm feeding them. So maybe when they're done growing, I'll start looking into giving them meals that I've curated and built myself. But for now, I just want to give them kitten-formulated food. Yeah, that's fair. Because they need specific nutrients that are kind of hard to get. There's ethical labels you can look for. I didn't go into this as much as Kristen did because I don't find it as interesting as she does. (laughs) (laughs) But the RSPCA freedom food label um, or an organic certification is usually a good way to go. Organic, of course, we have talked about this before, means that the people who are raising the food are less likely to be poisoned by the pesticides. pesticides. herbicides. Yeah, exactly. And you're less likely to be feeding pesticides and herbicides to your pet. So... They're also with them, depending on the organics label, there are sometimes space requirements. So like not as humane as like I personally would think you would need to be humane, but, you know, less likelihood they're going to be shoved into battery cages. Yeah. All right. So we are almost to the end. The last like big topic I want to talk about before my closing thoughts is waste-free pet ownership. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So basically, I want to start by saying that the U.S. pet industry made an estimated $99 billion last year in 2020, which was a $2 billion increase from the previous year, which makes sense. I don't know if you guys remember, but in 2020, there was like a pandemic happening and people were spending a lot more time at home with their animals. So they spent more money on toys and treats and leashes and strollers. I got a stroller for my cat. So the forecast predicts the global pet care market will reach $360 billion by 2027. So that's globally. That's not just the United States. We're pretty close to that already, though, if the United States is at $100 billion, basically. You know what I mean? 73% of Gen Z Zers, Gen Zers. How do you how do you uh Zoomers? Zoomers. <laughs> there you go. 73% of Zoomers and 68% of millennials are willing to spend more on sustainable pet products, which surprises nobody, I think. <laughs> so that's some of the like statistics that I found just to lead into this, which is my big question. Is it possible to go waste-free? In my notes, I wrote, lol no. <laughs> <laughs> All you can really do is buy huge packages of food and litter if possible. There's not really anywhere that sells waste-free litter or waste-free dog food unless you're, again, making the food yourself. Yeah, if you're making your own dog food, you could probably go waste-free as a dog owner. If you're hardcore, you could probably use dirt as litter, like in the old-timey days. Yeah, but like, I, I mean... I really should have looked into this, but like if you like, let's say you use paper bags for picking up dog poop or whatever, or you find some other compostable solution, like really all you have left is toys. Yeah. Um, also, TerraCycle might take your packaging, mm -hmm. which that's is true too. that's not like a waste free solution, but it is a solution for something to do with your packaging that would otherwise go to landfill. Yeah. There's so that's um, TerraCycle is like a recycling company. Um, you can. They have like oftentimes partnerships with different companies. So look to see whether the pet food company that you go with is a partner. Yeah. Awesome. And then the other thing to consider is, yeah, toys like mm -hmm. you were talking about, which <laughs> cats will play with literal trash. You you don't need to buy cute toys. Cute toys are for us. The cats don't really care what they look like. <laughs> hey, can I tell you um, Maisie's favorite toys? Um, so first of all, she loves cardboard on a string. And secondly, she loves playing with the ants near the tree in our backyard. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> those, those poor ants. She comes in with ants all over her. We have to, like, shake her off first. Oh, that sounds really stressful. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, you can definitely just make toys out of trash <laughs> or <laughs> cardboard or ants. <laughs> Any cat will prefer a box to anything else. Yeah, like, you don't need to buy a bunch of fancy cat toys. Did I buy a bunch of fancy cat toys for my <laughs> new course. kittens that I did. lost my mind over? Yeah. Kristen came into my house and I was like, please don't judge me based on the number of toys I have. Oh, it's nothing compared to how many toys Maisie has. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we all love we all love our pet toys. You know, even the people who are trying to make a big difference in their lives live, live in that waste-free life. When it comes to toys, I don't know, there's just something that we can't not we can't not buy cute toys. I I I don't know what it is. Maybe there's maybe there's been studies done on it. But there are some ways to have those cute toys and not be contributing to the corporate bullshit like capitalist structures that we live in, <laughs> which is you can swap toys with other local owners when your pets get bored with their toys. Mm -hmm. You can buy secondhand toys, you can buy secondhand litter boxes. You can make a litter box out of something you already have. You can look for metal-based boxes instead of plastic. 
You can buy secondhand bowls or use bowls that you already own. I use like one of my cat's water dishes because they have many. Is <laughs> like a bowl that is just like a cereal bowl that we have in our house. You can check out Craigslist, Gumtree, Kijiji, or your local equivalent of a secondhand shopping website or social media for unwanted secondhand toys and pet accessories. On that note, it is hard if you're spoiling your cat stupid because the scent of other cats can stress them out. Mm. So for us, we use cats are so I mean. <laughs> so for us, we used new carriers to bring them home because we were we were getting kittens. They were going through a lot, you know, they're leaving their mom, they're coming to a new space. We wanted them to be like comfortable, so we got them new carriers <laughs> and we also got them new uh cat beds. Uh, but honestly, we probably could have just used the sheets that were already sitting in our closets. I didn't think of it until afterwards. Cats are like, oh, this smells like another cat has touched it. I can't play with it. Dogs are like, ooh, you covered like a plastic water bottle in like some fabric. This is the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do have a fun fact just to close out this section, which is that naturally made products are gaining popularity, especially CBD. <laughs> Statistics reveal that one in four dog and cat owners have given their pet CBD oil-infused products, and two out of three dog owners would do it again. Moreover, three in four cat owners would also do it again. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with anything, but I wanted to share that anyway. Is CBD safe for animals? Like, I guess so. All right. Yeah. I cool. don't know. I think you need to get, like, pet grade. I don't know. I'm not going to do it until my dog's an adult, but... Yeah. Yeah, I haven't had a need to give my cat CBD. So yeah, let's wrap this up um, with the ultimate question. Is it ethical to own a pet at all? Based on everything that I've read, I think the ultimate answer is no. But I have a few things to say here. Uh, the first one is if you get a rabbit, that's actually pretty ethical. So it depends on the pet. Cats are a little bit more difficult. If you were to just release all of the pets that are currently in the world right now, that would not be an ethical solution because they can't survive on their own. And can't you just, if you adopt, don't you get rid of most of the ethical concerns around it? Um, I don't know. It depends on like everything we talked about. Are you feeding them a vegan diet if they can eat one? Are you waste-free? Are you using a clay litter? Yeah, but let's assume you like are an ethical pet owner, like that yeah. you do your best. Uh, most of the problems from the ethics of, in general, having a pet Aren't those from, like, the pet industry and stuff like that? If you're doing everything you can in your power, then yeah. You, there's not really a big problem with owning pets from what I can tell, but most people aren't doing that. And the industry, the way it is, is not great based mm -hmm. on everything that I found. But yeah, if you adopt instead of um, shopping for a pet, then... And, like, you know you'll be able to take care of the dog yeah. or cat throughout their lifetime and you're, like, saving for their medical procedures and whatever. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of people will, you know, will adopt a pet and then, you know, uh, uh, in Vancouver it's actually a huge problem. Most of the pets that are uh, put up for adoption or given to the SPCA in Vancouver are because people are moving into a space that doesn't allow pets. Mm. Vancouver is very not pet friendly, although they have just released um, – not released, they've just – put forward like a motion in council or something to make it so that you have to allow pets uh, as as a renter, which I very much appreciate. That Yeah, that's a rule in Ontario. It's not enforceable. So you can have in your lease like no pets allowed, but that's not enforceable. So like you can just do it anyway. And if they try to evict you, then you can't be evicted. Cool. Yeah. That, I think that's what Vancouver's looking at doing. 
I don't know. I know that th- I didn't write anything about this. I know that there's like arguments for and against it, but it's like it's because it's like, oh, what if you're sharing a space with somebody who's allergic? But then it's like, don't be a dick. You know what I mean? If you, if you have an animal already, then don't move into that space. Yeah. And if you don't have an animal already, don't move in and then get one if someone's allergic to it. You know? Yeah. If you're like roommate has pet allergies, that's maybe a conversation you should both have. Yeah, but that was like the only real argument that I've seen against it, other than landlords being like, but the property. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel sorry for you. I do not care, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another, so there's a few things that you can do instead of owning a pet. You can consider volunteering at your local shelter or wildlife rescue station. Um, this especially goes for people who can't afford to adopt a pet or living conditions that don't allow them to have one. You can stop excessive for-profit selective breeding. So don't go buy like a $4,000 dog that has been bred specifically because it has like its short legs or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you've already done that, then, you know, no shame to you. I almost... Same as the fast fashion thing. Like don't yeah. buy it, but if you have, like use it Take for care of it. Can. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like do I want to spend $2,000 on a Sphinx cat? Yes, desperately. Did Why? I almost did I almost <laughs> do it? Yes. The, the only reason I did not get a Sphinx cat when we were adopting is because I decided that the most ethical thing to do would be to get two cats instead of one and I could not afford a $4,000 down payment on two cats. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have fully fallen into that trap. So I am not here to don't judge. you have to wash their folds every day? You do. You have to wash their folds every day. I don't know. I feel like anybody who can afford a Sphinx cat can also afford to pay somebody to wash their cat's folds for them. Uh, another way to think about pet keeping pets is that like you thinking about keeping them for companionship rather than ownership this is something that like PETA talks about a lot in the ideal world there would be no leashes cages and stables animals would be free to roam wild and if they choose to live with people who will welcome them then they're free to do so as long as they are also free to leave but we don't live in that world right now that would be the ultimate solution, though. Well, and also, like, I, I don't know that I agree with that 100%, right? Um, because you do still need, like, everybody who has babies um, has, like, toddler gates, you know? Like, in a certain to a certain degree, I think you should think about pets from the same, like, rights framework as you think about kids. So, like, they don't get free freedom to choose everything because, like, you know, if our puppy, we just let go, she would <laughs> run into traffic immediately. Yeah. Know? But, like, there is a duty to, like, take care of the pet and to, like, give it a good life for, like, the species, you know. That's a really good point. I uh, was just quoting an article for that one, but I yeah. really I really uh, agree with that, thinking about them as though they're kids instead of soulless animals. Yeah, yeah. They're just little toddlers that make bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a really good way to look at it. And, I mean, uh, we've talked in the past, I think, about how, like, if you let cats out, they're such a menace to the wild bird population mm-hmm. that that's kind of not really a solution either. It's true too. Yeah. A uh, pet share might be like a solution. Uh, you know, you keep it for three days a week and then you give it to somebody else for, for two days and then they give it to someone else for two days. Kind yeah, of like- a cat might hate that though. Oh yeah. I think, <laughs> I mean, it's a solution, but is it a good one? I don't know. But it like treated like a ride share. <laughs> yeah. A dog might be okay with dual custody or whatever. Yeah, that's why I, that's what I love about cat cafes. Mm. There's two really good ones in Vancouver, and they actually both adopt out the pets, the the cats that they have at their cafe. So you can go have a drink, play with their pets, and then leave. And that's for people who can't have cats. And then there's people who are like, oh, I want a cat. You go there, you play with the cats, you pick one you want, you adopt it. So the cat cafe solution is like really cool. I love that. And then, of course, you can always 
watch animals in the wild, <laughs> go for a hike with some binoculars. Although it's very far away from them. Yeah, it's not as much fun as like scooping up my my kitten and like forcing her to be pet by me. I say force. She loves it. <laughs> oh, there was a seal like um, really close to my kayak the other day. That Ooh, was fun. Yeah. That, yeah, that's right. Welcome to Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So just to close out this section of like, is it ethical to own pets? I'm going to do my last quote from that same Guardian article I uh, read from earlier, which is, for now, the argument over whether we should own animals is largely theoretical. We do have pets and giving them up might cause more harm than good. Moreover, as uh, Francois suggests, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, caring for pets seems to many people to be the one area where we can actually do right by animals. Yeah. Convincing people of the opposite is a hard sell. Tim Wass, the chair of the pet charity and animal welfare consultant and a former chief officer at the RSPCA, agrees. It has already been decided by market forces and human nature. The reality is people have pets in the millions. The question is, how can we help them care for uh, how can we help them care for their pets correctly and appropriately? If the short history of pet ownership tells us anything, it is that our attitude towards animals is prone to change. You see these rises and falls in our relationships with pets, says Herzog. In the long haul, I think pet keeping might fall out of fashion. I think it is possible that robots will take their place, or maybe pet owning will be for small numbers of people. Yeah, that's literally a Philip K. Dick novel. <laughs> <laughs> Cultural trends come and go. The more we think of pets as people, the less ethical it is to keep them. Well, except for your toddler argument. Uh, yeah, I really don't think it's necessarily unethical. There are, like, some tricky questions. I don't know, are we going to talk about spaying and neutering? Because that's a... I mean, I feel like that – I didn't really want to get into that because it felt just so obvious. Yeah, it's very fraught, but – Is it? I was like, just spay or neuter your pet and then it it solves a lot of the problems like that we were talking about how, oh, there's 70 million strays in the United States and this, many get euthanized every year, you know? There is that, but you're also taking away from like – I mean, you're performing a surgery. And I know they've like found ways to make them less invasive over time, but I don't know. It's a painful surgery for the animal. I think I generally come out on the side of spay or neuter, but it's like kind of a complicated question for me anyway. Yeah, that's true. Editing Kyla here. I did a little bit of research after we finished recording the episode, and spaying or neutering your pets is actually more controversial than I originally thought, and I probably should have looked into it beforehand. Because it is a medical procedure, there are often medical side effects. So it's actually... <laughs> just getting debated more often right now. And if you're wondering what that crash was, my kittens are playing around my feet and they just knocked my headphones to the floor. But yeah, that's what I have on pet ownership. Yeah. It's complicated. Um, I'm not sorry that I own my kittens. I can tell you I have had them for a month and my mental health has improved drastically. Just having something to take care of, playing with them, uh, having the project of like, okay, how do I make my apartment more cat friendly? Because I have... They're both like part Bengal. Actually, they're both like half Bengal. So they're like a lot Bengal. And Bengals are the most high energy, one of the most high energy breeds of cat. Mm. So I was like, okay, how, how do I justify having them in a, in a 400 square foot apartment? And we have a cat tree. I have a cat wheel on the way. We're building from scratch like a cat gym. We have some <laughs> wood that we rescued from uh, my my partner's uncle who just had it laying around his ranch. And and we're we're training them to walk on leashes. We're we're getting them used to leashes, and we're gonna we're gonna take them out on hikes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
I like how every time I do an episode, Kristen, you come out on the opposite side of where I land. Well, I think your instinct is just to like shame yourself a little bit. Um, I don't know. I honestly think it's fine. Like pet ownership. I mean, you're talking about the benefits to mental health and stuff, but it's also a really good way to like, it really shows us that animals may not be exactly like humans, but like we learn about the complexities and the similarities that animals share with us. And I think that makes us more compassionate about the animals that we encounter either in wildlife um, or like has the potential to make us more compassionate about the ways in which we are severely fucking over animals in factory farming, right? Yeah. I think there's that benefit and also just like companionship is a big part about how we live our lives too, right? And pets can really help to fulfill that function. So as long as you're doing it in the right way and as long as you're not picking a pet that is like wildly out of step with the living conditions that you have, then I think it's fine. Yeah, although there is an argument to be made there for maybe if Robbie was here, he would say, oh, well, we should bring back community. (laughs) And like, maybe we should join more communities and have more human companionship. Well, you can do that too, but like, I don't know. There's nothing. Have a cat or a lizard or whatever. It's not the same, yeah. Yeah. I love my cats so much. And I would love my dog if I had a dog just as much, but I, I went for cats this time. I have had dogs all my life, so I'm not sitting here being like, one is superior to another. (laughs) (laughs) awesome well this was a really exciting episode for me i spent maybe four hours reading about kitty litter if anyone (laughs) has anything they want to add to this conversation i thought it was really fascinating Mm -hmm. and would love to talk more about it so you can get us on twitter at pullback podcast or you can go to our website and uh, double check everything that I did. I'm going to put very thorough notes on our research. So. Love it. You did a great job. Thank you. It's so nice to see you in person. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's going to be so much easier to edit this one. Or harder. You don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. Catch you on the next one. 